Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Standard Age podcast, a casual conversation about the lives of entrepreneurs and those growing companies. This podcast has been a wonderful supplement to my apparel brand, Standard H, which serves up elevated casual automotive and travel-inspired apparel and accessories to you discerning car and watch lovers. It's been a blast recording these episodes, and if you like what you hear, please visit standard-h.com and sign up for our email list. Our recently revamped website not only hosts every episode of this show, but also allows you to explore the entire product assortment and our latest travel recommendations. As an email subscriber, you will then receive offers no one else is privy to, and I can promise it'll be well worth your while. Just hit pause real quick and hop over to standard-h.com to sign up. We'll be here waiting for you to hit play when you return. Watch collecting is often described as a journey, and along these roads of exploration, you may encounter independently owned brands you've never heard of creating some of the most incredible timepieces. If you're in search of these brands, look no further than Passion Fine Jewelry, owned by former Standard Age podcast guest Tim Jackson. Offering incredible timepieces as well as phenomenal customer service, Passion Fine Jewelry is California's largest independent watch dealer located right here in Solana Beach, just north of San Diego. There you will find Roger Smith, Gronfeld, Kudoke, Habring, Sarpaneva, Roman Gauthier, and many more. If you can't make it to California, visit passionfinejewelry.com for their entire offering online. This episode is also brought to you by Contonement. Contonement's flagship product, the Kerchief, is a perfect medium between a handkerchief and a bandana. Featuring iconic designs such as a Fender Stratocaster and the dashboard of a Volkswagen GTI, these utilitarian cloths are an item that should be a mainstay in your everyday carry. Tuck one in a back pocket or use one as a neckerchief. Visit them at Contonement Co. That's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T dot co and use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off their entire online shop. Now let's get to the show. Many of you perhaps listened to today's guest show as well. Andy Green is far more than the co-host of Australia's OT podcast, and with as many cookie jars he has his hand in, I was delighted to find out how close he keeps all of his worlds of interest. We start out discussing the ins and outs of his business called Hibby, which creates and manufactures custom keys for your computer's keyboard. Talk about a niche product. We discuss the country music scene and what makes it so popular, including Australia's ute scene, which hosts models costing $200,000 and $300,000. Andy and I are both fans of the GTI, and he gives us a glimpse into his latest automotive purchase and then takes us through his early days of watches, including the bridge from G-Shocks to purchasing his first micro-brand powered by an automatic movement. It was soon after that Andy was seated next to none other than Time and Tide's Andrew McCutcheon on a flight which opened the door to Andy's journalism career. The OT podcast was born from weekly conversations Andy had with his then-co-worker and friend Felix Schultz. Now co-hosts, the podcast is now a money-making show surrounding the world of watches. They've had some heavy hitters and some smaller guests such as yours truly, which I'm certainly grateful for. Andy has managed to still maintain his day job working in marketing for an electronics company, so needless to say, the man's full of hustle. We discuss pizza fairly in-depth, as well as Andy's switch to a plant-based diet. We wrap things up naturally with some more watch talk, both OTs and ordained special editions, as well as the current state of the market. I hope you enjoy this episode with one of the nicest guys in the game. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? Yeah, can't complain. It's a Friday here. The week's uh, week's flown by, so I'm pretty yeah. happy. I'm pretty happy about it. Yeah, you're ready to get the week over. Yeah, I mean the week never really ends for me, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of, I, I get sleep ins on Saturdays and Sundays, so I'm excited for that. I want to hear more about that. Why does the week not end for Andy Green? Just uh, I wear a few hats. Um, so obviously I have the, uh, have the, the podcast and the watch stuff, which takes up a decent amount of time, but also I, I do work in marketing still. So that is, uh, a little bit busy, um, 
sort of nine to five and then I sort of have another another business as well. So there's always just like a lot of stuff going on. What uh, What's the other business? Uh, so we just manufacture uh, like computer parts, mechanical keyboards and stuff like that. Oh, you're a partner in that company. Yeah. What's it called again? It's called Hibi, H-I-B-I. So you probably see me sharing random pictures yeah. to Instagram of keycaps and stuff. Yeah, so that's... Man, this is not where I wanted to start. Uh, not necessarily that I didn't want to start here. It's that I had no idea we would start here. Is that? Yeah. I guess that's a better way of saying it. <laughs> um, but you guys produce like super, super niche kind of products, obviously. Like keyboard caps is, I, I can't imagine that's a saturated market. It's interesting. It's sort of, um, I like I like to explain it to people as, it takes a lot of boxes. Um, it's DIY. So people that like making things enjoy it. It's customization. So people that like having things that are customized, customized to them enjoy it. It's yeah. also a tax deduction if you're clever about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's work equipment. And right. there's also an element of collectability. There's also like long wait times traditionally for this stuff. Um, you know, you might wait a year or two for, for, for a keyboard or a keycap set. So it's sort of, a lot of um, interests sort of come together and then they look nice, right? And then you have nostalgia. So making making them out of, you know, aluminium and brass and, and polycarb, it makes it, it, it brings back that sort of nostalgia from, you know, the early keyboards and early Apple products and that sort of stuff. And that gets people interested as well. So I think when you have that mix, there's, there's some strong interest. But yeah, it's, it's like certainly niche. Like it's an odd, it's an odd market. Yeah. Okay. So gosh, I have like six questions already just about this. <laughs> All right. So, so let me, let me get this straight. So you guys obviously manufacture these parts and such, but, and it's customizable for the end user mm -hmm. because, if, okay. So for those out there that don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about literally like your key that has S on it, for yeah. example, could be pink or it could yeah. be teal. Or something like that. If it's like, was it anodized aluminum? I'm assuming. Yeah, it's or often like... anodized aluminum, or we do like Peabody brass, right? And there's so, a, few, a few other materials as well that you kind of play around with. Sure. So you're providing this level of customization for the end user to then apply that key to their keyboard to make it all, you know, uh, zhuzhed up to to use the lack. Of yeah, essentially, phrase. if you view it as like a as like a kit, so you might buy a kit to build a model car or a model airplane and it's it's no right. different this would just be like a an accessory that's kind of sold alongside it so a lot of people it's very enthusiast driven so a lot of people will do like thematic sets and okay. it, could be, it could be about anything um we've got right. like a watch we've got a watch style coming up for a set that's sort of about uh i think it's called cultured and it's about you know just the finer things in life so there's you know we've done a we've done a watch uh, a watch face on a keycap which is pretty impressive um so it fits in in that regard, right? People people will buy a broader set and then add this as like a bit of a novelty. So it's not it's not necessarily going to fit on like everyone's keyboard at home. Like you would need a mechanical keyboard to start off with. But yeah, it's the sort of thing where you can customize everything from the board that you use, the switches, the circuit boards that are in there, uh, the weight of the switches, the the sound. It's sort of people chase different. Uh, passions within within the hobby some people like you know only aesthetic some people like the feeling some people like the sound yeah so there's all those additional sort of tactility elements that come into play as well god i'm so fascinated by this what, okay so what all right so what would take it a year to be produced is that because you pre-sell everything and then you manufacture or is it literally like a made-to-order situation yeah so it, it, it's sort of stemmed from the community so it is it's sort of like kickstarter um, okay. it, it does, manufacturing times for stuff is, you know, I think everyone knows quite, um, quite blown out at the moment. A lot yeah. of what, um, what gets done is CNC milling. So blocks of aluminium or blocks of, you know, brass, like it's actually, it's a, it's mass manufacturing technique, but done on like a really small scale. Mm -hmm. So, and all the different steps, like the more complicated you make something, the more steps are involved and the more checks are involved. And so you can kind of get down the path and then something doesn't pass, you know, quality control. So then it goes back in. So yeah. it, like it wouldn't take a year, um, but there's also just like backlogs. It's mostly the, the timeline that's blown out for, for everything is mostly just like backlogs. Right, right. And demand. It's sort of like if you imagine sort of some of those smaller watch manufacturers that, you know, Chapek, for example, that open their books and you could prepay a third of the cost of a watch, something like 5,000 US dollars. 
and you book a spot in for December next year, a build spot. Right. And they had to close it in like two days because they, they were full. So then the wait time is a year and a half, but it doesn't take that long to make. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. I just ordered my first uh, independent from Kudoke earlier this year, and it's uh, it's due up in July. Mm-hmm. Um, the lead time really wasn't that long. It's because I'm having some little idiosyncrasies on the backside, let's say. Okay, and, some um, tweaks. Yeah, so um, super excited about that. But I think, you know, having just hosted Max Booser on the, on the show mm-hmm. recently and, uh, <laughs> you know, clearly he knows about shutting the books, so to speak. It's really um, interesting, isn't he? He's a great guy to talk to. Oh my God. He's fascinating. He's, he's one of my favorites for sure. Um, okay. So you are Andy green live.com. What, what's with the live? I, I, I have to know. <laughs> yeah. Some people thought it was green live. Like that was the, the last name. Oh, right. I mean, it's a pretty lame story, but back when I started on Instagram, you know, when I was 2012, mm-hmm. so probably 10 years ago, and I was a young, I was a young boy, I was just, Andy Green was taken, and the email wow. I used to sign up with was a live account, so I think my, I think my old email was like Andy Green at live.com, so I was like, oh, just Andy okay. Green Live, so I wouldn't forget <laughs> how to get in. Okay. <laughs> and then I, uh, then I just left it, uh, and and here we are, and it is, I mean, you know, with things like stories and features like going live, it sort of is a bit of a you know, semi-live look at what I get up to. Right, right. Oh, okay, very cool. Um, people obviously know you're from Australia by your accent, but uh, and more, yeah, more often than not, I would say there's probably some crossover in our listenership. So, uh, and our guests. people are going to be, yeah, yeah, and our guests, yeah, for sure. So, are you from Melbourne? Yep, uh, I was born in South Australia, so that's sort of the next state over. Uh, but most of my life in Melbourne, maybe. 20, 28 years here. Okay. So my understanding of Melbourne, having never been to Australia mm. before is that it's, I don't know, a little bit more, um, not financial, but maybe a little bit, maybe metropolitan is the right word yep. compared to Sydney. It's better than Sydney. It's, it's just yeah. a nicer place. To, <laughs> it's a nice place to be. The layout's better. It's a bit of a smaller city than Sydney is, but the layout's definitely better. Similar, similar culture. Sydney would be like LA. Right. Melbourne would be kind of like New York. Okay. But not not, not right. as busy. If Canadians right, right. if Canadians lived and entirely populated New York City. Right, right. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Sounds good, doesn't what it? What did So you've heard my show I think before. Yes, what of course. what did, what uh what did the folks do? My parents? Yeah. Yeah, my dad was a uh well he still is. He's like a, a banker of of sorts. Okay. So he, he was like um Started off as like an accountant and then ended up working at the bank for, for a couple of decades. And now he, he does like, I don't, even, I don't really know what he does now. He's sort of not semi-retired, but he does a lot of like expert witness banking stuff. So then when there's oh, you know, royal commissions and negotiating finance terms and stuff like that. So he if you know, you're watching billions, he'd probably be on like the suits in the corner giving, okay. you know, some sort of advice on, on a deal of some sorts. <laughs> But I, I don't know. Like I'm an adult, and I, I don't know exactly what he's what he does. Mostly finance stuff. And does your mom work or? No, she she's a, she's a she retired pretty early. Um, but I've, I'm one of four kids, so she was a she's a pretty busy busy woman sure. for a long long time. So what number are you? I'm number two. Oh okay. Yeah. So is there middle child syndrome when there's two middle children? <laughs> Uh, probably like there probably is. <laughs> we're very, we're very different, uh, different, different kids. And they're sort of my, my oldest brother's couple, maybe two years older and my younger sister's six years younger. So it's you know, sort of an eight year window. Right. So we kind of grew up and there was, you know, ships in the night when it came to things like school and, you know, those mm-hmm. big events in life. Yeah, sure. Are yeah. you guys pretty tight now though? Yeah. 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 It's pretty, pretty, you know, good family as everyone sort of gets a little bit older. Yeah, sure. Well, you, you, I know you're into music quite a bit. I mean, I love music. I love listening to music. I'm not very talented. I um, I have a country music podcast that's on a hiatus at the moment as sort of my co-host. He went and got, went off and got married and then started going back and forth to Nashville to record some, some music. So I think we're looking to pick that back up at some point. But that was more, you know, of a passion, a passion project. The Watch Podcast OT, it's sort of, it's, you know, it's a bit of a business 
for us. So I kind of thought oh, it would be it'd be fun to, you know, just do something that's purely fun, nothing commercial about it. That yeah. you know, it's just sort of chatting and exploring the music, the music world. But yeah, I mean, right now I'm listening to the Greatest Showman um, soundtrack on repeat. It's sort of it's a regular. We get to the end of the week and I and I just I put that on because I love it. I think it's a very underrated film. It deserves better ratings, and it's uh, the soundtrack's fantastic. Okay, I have no idea what that is. To be you've blunt. not seen The Greatest Showman, no. Hugh Jackman isn't a fellow Australian. Yes, uh, I, that I know. <laughs> Twenty seventeen. It's like a musical film. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's. I mean, yeah. he's a hell of an actor, obviously, but uh, he's fantastic. Hell of a singer. Hell of an actor. Just a an all round great guy. So how does how does Australia get so in the country lane? I grew up in North Carolina, which mm-hmm. is the South. Right. Yep. And yep. I, I am not a country guy at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously you guys have, have definitely taken the reins in a multitude of fashions with regards to country. How does that happen? We, I mean, have you looked, have you seen a map of Australia? Sure. You had heard of the Outback? Yeah, of course. It's massive. So the actual, the city element uh, of Australia is pretty small. We're, it's basically the Eastern seaboard. And then you kind of have Perth, which is the most isolated city in the world. And then you have an enormous mass of land. So there's a decent, actually like a decent country. Right. Like it's a different sort of country, but yeah, ag- agriculture is massive here. There's a lot of like country towns. It's sort of the the backbone of the, the whole nation is sort of uh, farmers, definitely. So it's a bit of, it's not, oh, you wouldn't imagine the same sort of country and, and, and farmers, you know, what sort of immortalized with the with places like America. Right. But but there's definitely a scene, and our, our guys drive Utes, which is like a yeah, you know what a Ute is? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> everyone everyone has Utes over here, so I mean, there's things like the there's like Ute musters where everyone comes with their Utes, and they put on like country music festivals and stuff, and you know, there's shows for just Utes, and someone's got like a two three hundred thousand dollar Ute. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it'll be the same thing as trucks. It's it's we don't have the we don't have the trucks. We lower it, take away two doors, and then that's about you know probably half the cars you see on the road. Wow, I didn't realize that they 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 were packed in such numbers. That's that's insane. What was your first car? My first car, uh, it was a uh, no, it was a, a Mitsubishi Lancer. Okay, yeah, 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 those are cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It's like the newer. It was the newer body shape. It was pretty. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been driving for 13, 14 years now, so it was it was pretty cool to me getting a right. new car. That sort of. I think I was nineteen and got a, got it uh, black. It was my. It was almost too too reliable and too good of a car. <laughs> Yeah. Just because I, because when I got rid of it, I thought, how do I, how do I justify this? This car is flawless. Like it's, you know, it's not exciting really to drive, but it's, it's fine. It's manual. It's, it's cost me nothing to drive it or own it. Servicing's free. It, you know, it's not free, but you know, it's like a hundred dollars. Right. I replaced the tires like once and it was actually really hard to kind of get rid of it because I, it was just so good. Well, so why did you get rid of it? Because I wanted a new car. What did you get? Uh, I got, that's when I got the, uh, the Golf GTI. Oh, okay. So I got the two door. Yeah. Okay. So I know yep. you drive one now. Yes. Same one. It, okay. So that is the same one. Cool. Same one. So Mark that's seven, uh, right? Seven, seven, five. Yeah. Oh, you got the seven, five. Nice. Yeah. It's an original. So it's an Australia only release. They did in two colors, white and red. And it's sort of, it was a really good, it was a really good purchase actually, because it, it doesn't have a lot of the frills that the regular GTI has. They sort of limited the options to basically just driver assistance and the gearbox. And so, you know, Apple CarPlay works perfectly. So you didn't need things like SatNav or anything like that. And with driver assistance, it's kind of perfect. It has the tartan seats as well, which is, you know, a little bit less common these days, you know, but true to the, the GTI. And I think they did 200 colors, 200 of each color. So maybe 400 just for Australia. And that's it. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. So, so, that, so that, why the GTI to begin with though? Like what, what drew you to the car? I'm a, I'm always running around doing things. So I wanted a good runabout, you know, yeah. a daily car that I could enjoy that, you know, had a bit of, had a bit of speed to it. It was fun to handle, had plenty of space. It was always just me driving around in it. Uh, so I could, you know, go to the gym in it, could go shopping, could go for road trips in it and, you know, have something that was enjoyable to drive while I did it. And so, you know, probably Jeremy Clarkson sold me on the GTI like he did everyone. Like it's just, the per- it's the perfect everyday car. Yeah, I mean, I you know you're preaching to the choir over here, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's the biggest bang for your buck for sure. Um, what was the what was the first watch you got? Like, what got you into watches then? 
We gonna keep talking about cars. Well, we can talk about cars. Well, you'll like. So I just uh, I'm getting the new Mark Eight. Uh, oh, nice. Yep. Yep. So I'm keeping it in the family, keeping it. You know, just, just a little little slight step up. Okay. New body shape. What do you think of the new body shape? Uh, you know, I've I've to be honest, I haven't seen one in person yet. Yeah. Well, they've um, just come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think they're. I like the outside better than I like the inside. That's my honest opinion. Yeah, that's ironically I've not been in one yet, uh, but it's coming in. A, it's coming in a few weeks, but that's on all reports. Yeah. Given that, yeah, there's definitely been a big price hike here, and sort of the interior is meant to be a little bit so-so for the for the price tag. And mm. I actually didn't like the exterior though. I I didn't like the new badging, and I thought the shape was a little bit too futuristic. But then as I kind of looked at it more and saw some you know YouTube videos and stuff like that, I it, it really grew on me. Right. What color did you get? Black. Oh, Black. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, there's so there's only three colors in Australia. They've really tightened up the release. It's three colors, two options. That's it. Hmm. Wonder why that is. Yeah. I think it's just the again supply chain stuff. Like the the more options they allow you to pick from, the more you know microchips mm-hmm. and things like that they need. So you can choose three colors, and it's literally a sunroof and premium sound. That's it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that stuff comes from Ukraine, actually. Like yeah, some I think of the like wiring or the, the yeah. wiring harness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which is quite important, and they're sort of working out. Sure, sure. Working, working that out. I mean, sea freight to Australia takes like three times as long as it did a year ago, as well. So, Jeez. you know, dealer delivery because um, everyone's cost goes up, especially when they're finance. They've like fleet uh, floor plan pricing as well, financing. Sorry, the cost of them just holding, you know, having ordered that car and it being stuck at you know sea after they've paid for it, it just mm-hmm. everything just balloons up. So. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, I'm I'm excited because I think it it now looks awesome. So it's black, uh, black with a with some bright blue kind of calipers on the wheels. So oh, right. I'm excited. What uh, does it still have the tartan? No, it's got the R seats. So they're sort of like leather. I don't know if it's real leather, but it sort of has um, sports seats. It's, it's basically fully optioned. As I well. was going like to say it sounds like R brakes too, because I think the yep. R comes with blue brakes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so they, I don't know what it's like in, in the US. I know you kind of traditionally get a lot more models and then options within the range. But for Australia, there's nine variants in total, which is right. which is super low. So wow. yeah, should be an exciting car though. That's crazy. Do you have a Grail car? A Grail car? Uh, I mean, 911 Turbo. You know, that's sort of the, that's the, that's the dream. The Turbo specifically? Yeah. Or Turbo S. I mean, if it's, if it's an absolute Grail, yeah, that would, I'd be very happy with it, with the Turbo S. Yeah, so not a GT3 or GT3 RS or like GT2 RS. No, it's too much for me. Yeah, I'm, I'd be too irresponsible with it, and it's it's I'm not the guy who takes the car out on track, so I just would be it would be a bad look for me driving that car because I want right. to drive it every day. Yeah, and they'd be like you don't know how to drive that thing, and say so, yeah, I don't, <laughs> and I don't, I have no need, I have no need for that. But something about the Turbo S is just so classic, right, and iconic, and I just feel like that's a car you know you could buy it and just drive off into the sunset with it. Well, that zero sixty is it'll blow your hair back. Yeah, still, it's it's still insane. I mean, it, most new cars, <laughs> well, zero to sixty in under you know five seconds is very quick, <laughs> right? Which is like almost every sports car now. Basically, know? every sports between you know two and a half to five seconds, and then at what point you know, <laughs> right? What do you need? I don't need that. I don't need that. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, like an older an older nine eleven nine six four or something like that. Maybe even sure. a Cabriolet mm. from the nice. from the late eighties, black. The um the David Duchovny special from Californication. Right, right. That's sort of that's like seared in my memory because I think he has like an eighty four, and it's the black Cabriolet, and that's sort of like he's beat up, and he's sort of like washed up at that point in the in the show, and then sort of he gets a, his luck turns and he gets a bit of money and he he upgrades it to a new one, but he misses the old one. Right. Uh, but uh, what about you? You got a Grail? Oh gosh, uh, Grail car. You know, it would it would depend whether or not we're like going with like my childhood Grail versus mm-hmm. like I don't know my modern Grail. I, I would yep. say my modern Grail would probably be a GT3 Touring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but my childhood Grail was probably a Ferrari Testarossa. Wow, be lovely. Yeah, so we could dive into watches now if you'd like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my first watch, I uh, 
my first watch. I've always, always been interested. I always had like G-Shocks and stuff like that. And my parents would go overseas and I'd be, oh yeah, get me G-Shock from the airport or because it'd always be different releases overseas nice. and they'd go to um, Asia quite a bit. Mm. So they'd come back with sort of some funky, you know, G-Shocks and, you know, they'd come back with a couple because, you know, what, they were hundred bucks each. So yeah, I was spoiled. Uh, but then I was, I worked from a young age. Uh, that's where I got this work ethic from. But from 15, I was working and I was working at a pizza shop. And I, I remember I got my first tax return and I was like, oh, what is a tax return? And it was like $600. So I worked pretty hard to get a $600 tax return. Yeah, that's nice. So I went out and I thought, well, what do I, what do I go and get? And this is a 16. So I went out and went to like a department store, one of those mall, you know, um, conglomerates. And I bought a Hugo Boss dress watch. And it was just quartz. It was just a neat little dress watch that said Hugo Boss. And to me, I'm like, oh, wow, this is a nice brand. This is what a, what a cool watch. Yeah, sure. And so I wore that for a couple of years and I was sort of interested and then, I kind of came around to 18. I thought, oh, well, I should probably start looking at like an 18 watch, but I didn't have any money. So then I, it sort of like sat on the back burner. And as I approached 21, which is sort of a bigger birthday here anyway, I thought, oh, you know, it's a sort of like your parents ask you, your friends ask you, everyone's like, well, what do you want to get? Maybe we can pull some money together and get you something. And that's when I discovered watch media. And I discovered there was websites and stuff like Worn and Wound and Hodinkee. There wasn't really much else um, right. back then. And I started thinking, well, What's going to give me the most bang for my buck? What's going to be really interesting? It's going to have what matters at the price point. And so for, you know, what can you get for like $1,500? Because I think sure. that was sort of what I was budgeting to spend. And so I started learning about movements. And you go, well, it's got to have an automatic movement. If you're going to spend $1,500 on a watch, it's got to have an automatic movement, right? Yeah. Uh, I want it to be a micro brand because then it's going to be, you know, a little bit more special, a bit lower production. What size do I want? You know, what warranty do I want? And so I went around reading and reading and reading and I ended up buying a, a brand called Zetum and I don't think it's around anymore. But it was off a worn and wound review of this watch. And so it was a circular watch with like a black, really just black clean dial. And so I read the review. I thought, oh, yeah, cool. I'm going to get this. And I did. I bought it online, ordered it. And then I had that. And that was sort of, that was cool for about a year. And then, of course, I kept reading watch, you know, watch publications and stuff like that. And then people worked out that you like watches. Oh yeah. I saw this magazine. I've got this book here, have this, have that. And then I think I had an overseas holiday trip and I was going to Europe, going through Europe. Oh, where can I visit? What watch store can I visit? That's not here. What watches can I go see that aren't in Australia that are overseas? And so that's when the the trip, the watch, you know, boutique trip started happening. And I started going, well, there's stores here in this country and there's this store in France and I can go have a look here and, just have a look around and you know from there just it's just sort of it spiraled and actually on that trip home I think it was 21 22 I, I flew home from the UK and it just so happened I sat next to a guy who was wearing a Rolex and he it was on a it was on a NATO strap and I was just looking down at it it was a submarine on a, on a Bond NATO and I was pretty young then I was thinking to myself is this is it real because I've never seen right, a Rolex on a NATO, fabric strap yeah, yeah. yeah I'm like this is it real and I'm, so I was giving it a good stare and he just stopped and he goes oh are you checking out my watch? And I said, yeah, I am. I'm just curious about it. And it turned out he was, uh, I think he was writing about watches at GQ magazine. And he said, oh, and this is from London to Melbourne. So seven, uh, 24 hour flight. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. He says, yeah, we're, we're right for GQ. I've just been over at uh, SIH. So this was, would have been in around February. So watch fair. I didn't know that a watch, a watch fair existed. Yeah. And yes, I'm you know, right about this. I've actually got my own publication launching. It's just going to be our watches. You should like follow us on Instagram. We've got like 900 followers. And, and so uh, he's like, you know, no Wi-Fi on a plane. So he's like, he grabs my phone and puts a note in and it was at Time Tide Watches. Oh. <laughs> right. And so I was like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. And yeah, he's probably a decade older than me, if not a little bit older. And so he was telling me all about the watch industry. And I think he pulled out his carry on and he had a had like a Panerai or something wrapped in the sock as well. And he was showing me other watches and he's like, yeah, well, you know, hit me up because we both lived in Melbourne as well. He's like, hit me up when you get, when we land and, you know, email me and we can talk, we can do a review on your watch that you just bought. And so of course, you know, I did, I was 21, 22, emailed him. He launched Time and Tide. So this is obviously Andrew McCutcheon. He launched Time and Tide probably a month later. I think it was about March. Wow. And, and so he launched that and, you know, I was just, there's a pretty small Rolodex back then of, you know, guests to invite to things and people to help out with stuff. So I met Felix not long after he was already sort of a soft uh, launch employee uh, a few months before the website officially launched and started going to like watch events, started, you know, yeah, come down to the office. We've got this in for, you know, for review or photographing this. You want to be in a, a photo shoot. So like early on, I was just like randomly helping out with a bunch of stuff. I mean, 
I think I did half a dozen photo shoots. One of them is like still their YouTube banner of, you know, me wearing this IWC at like 21 years old, hailing a cab. Like, and it's just, I'll still laugh every time I see it, that, that it's just like it's sort of an iconic image to me. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And then it, that sort of relationship uh, evolved over about, after about six months, they just said, I'll hire you to help out with bits and pieces. And, and then one day I said, oh, hey, can you help us write about watches? And I said, I don't know how to write, but if you can help me and teach me how to do it, I will. So then I've ended up at one point I was writing five or six articles uh, a month, which is pretty, you know, pretty decent contribution given that I, w- I was working full time at the time. Sure. Uh, and, and yeah, so I stayed there for about, I think I was there five years helping out um, wow. and sort of working and Felix and I became very good friends. At one point the office was sort of, they moved to an office that was on the same street as my work office, like literally wasn't in the, in the main city, but it was a, a half a kilometer walk. So I don't know a third of a mile. Uh, so me and Felix would have a coffee, you know, every day we'd walk up and I don't know, we, we got to the point where we thought our conversations were really interesting and funny. And we always thought, Oh, we should do a podcast. We should, at some point we should do a podcast together, but I don't know if people will enjoy listening to us. We enjoy, and we think that we like to think that if someone was here, like eavesdropping on us, they'd probably laugh long to our conversation as well. Um, but we never, we never got around to it. And then, yeah, I mean, that's the story of me and watchers and, the rest is sort of history. I mean, I left, Felix left not long after. And then about a week before the pandemic, we we, we were talking, yep, finally, let's just do this podcast. Let's just see how we go, we'll record a pilot. So I think we recorded a pilot in the first week of March, sent it around to a few friends. They said, yeah, yeah, this is this is all right. No, you should keep going. So we went back into the studio and then lockdown just like swept the country. So we were, we were trying to figure out how we were going to keep the podcast that we decided to launch going during lockdown. And it turned out to be the best thing ever uh, for us because we were just stuck at home all this spare time. Everyone else in the world was stuck at home and had all this spare time and they couldn't really say no to jumping on a Zoom call. So I guess that's the story of me and Watchers and me and the, the podcast and Felix. Wow, that's so crazy because, all right, so all of that, like I didn't know half of it, but um, <laughs> okay, so Felix was with Time Tide then, right? And then... Let's see. He's with Revolution now, or yeah. So he's the editor for Revolution Australia, right? Um, right, right. Has the podcast, and then he contributes all over the place. Okay, so this was you said. What did you say? Five years ago, or mm. you were there for five years? Uh, I was at Tom and Todd for five years. Yeah, right. So when were these like coffee meetings happening? How long ago? Twenty twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we'd been talking about a podcast since like 2017, 2018. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it took yep. you three, basically. Took us a while. To, yeah. Two, two well, to three years to launch it. We never had our own projects or businesses at that point. So, right. and there's this, as you know, there's some investment and there's a huge amount of time. And when you don't know how to edit, you know, right. audio and video and make websites and do all that stuff, like it's, it's, it's challenging. So, you know, I always applaud people that at least try because it's, Right. A lot of people sit back and, you know, scuff and, you know, sniffle and, and and that sort of stuff at people that, you know, try something and fail. But it's really hard to really hard to try stuff. So we we always sort of we liked the idea of it, but we weren't really sure how we would do it, if it would be part of time and tide, if it was not gonna be, how could we get a you know, how could we set it up? And then it just so happened, you know, not long after he he left because he was always full time there. And when he left it was sort of, okay, well, we've got a bit of an opening, you know what? You know, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about like things like non-competes and that sort of stuff. Right. Not having the pressure of doing it as like an employee and owning it as well meant that it could just be us. Yeah, sure. Um, and yet, yeah, we just finally decided to commit. So, yeah, I mean, that's like everything in life, right? Yeah, people are, it's easy to talk about things, but actually actioning it's pretty hard. Right, right. So who edits and like who gets the guests? Like what's the behind the scenes thing for OT podcast? Yeah, so we had early on we had a, a producer helping us out because we had no, I mean we had no time and we had no, um, we had no s- skills at all. Like couldn't tell you how to do it. And then when after about six seven months, when we started getting sponsors and we started learning that we're like, oh, you got to be really responsive. Like sending this off to a producer, waiting for them to edit it, listening back, seeing if we're happy. If we're happy, we can send it off. If we're not happy, getting it changed. If you know there's any feedback or if we've messed up a detail or something or a call to action uh, that we, we couldn't afford that time because we were doing it every week. And it was sort of like, I mean, honestly, we've like, we've had been fully sponsored since probably three months after we launched. So we've really not really had any downtime. So it's incredible. Yeah. From a business standpoint, you can't, we couldn't afford to, you know, 
wait a week between, you know, edits and feedback and that sort of stuff. So yeah, I sort of taught myself how to edit audio and figure it out. And through that, you know, we upgrade the gear and you learn sort of tricks and hacks and you learn how to be, get pretty quick at it and how to host a show and, you know, get, get guests on and keep them on a good path so that not a lot of editing is required. So we don't really do heavy editing. Right. It's more just, you know, tightening things up, cleaning things up, fixing audio if we need, um, and then sort of adding adding the different elements. So I do I do all the uh, all the editing and, and the assets. Felix does a lot of the, uh, the the business side of stuff now. He was sort of the other way around, but he sort of handles a lot of the, the brand stuff because he knows them all really well and he, he works with them on his other sort of projects mm-hmm. and, and ventures anyway. I see. And then guests, we sort of, we juggle it. We sort of, you know, look at people that we like to talk to and a lot come through uh, just brands, which we're really lucky that we kind of get offered, you know, chats to interview. And we just, honestly, we just say, hey, if this person's available, can we just do a podcast instead of a Zoom? You know, can right. we just record the audio and can we put publish it as a podcast because we think other people would like to hear this. Right. And there's been a bit of adjustment for brands. Like a lot of them weren't super keen on the idea of having, you know, the same chat recorded and then published, but they, they come around to it. And hmm. I mean, I think it works, it works well because you're going to get really interesting guests on. So how was it, like, what was the process like when you got your first sponsor? I mean, you said, I guess Felix is kind of responsible for that now, but. We actually said no to our first, the first person who approached us because they wanted us to do something that we just didn't do. And we hadn't even figured out how we were going to monetize the show. And they were asking us for video content. I'm like, we still don't do video content. Right. And so we think, well, you know, it was a lot of money. Do we just do a video? How do we position it? How do we do that? And I was, I said, no, we're, we're changing too far. We're deviating from a model we've not even decided on. I'd right. love to work with them, but if this isn't right, it's not the right fit. So I think the first two actually we said no to, and then I can't even remember who our first sponsors were, <laughs> but thank you so much for the early support. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've just, we've gotten away. We're really lucky. We've gotten away with being ourselves and, you know, we're very transparent. Our approach is always tell people, you know, we don't try and hide. If we have a, someone sponsoring the show, we, we just say, and we say it, you know, at the start and we talk about it and, you know, uh, a lot of what we wanted to do, we didn't want it heavily, well, edited at all. We didn't want to have to send through like layers of approval. And early on, we were a little bit more conservative, like, oh yeah, hey, this is what we've said just so you, just so you know. And, you know, like I don't actually, brands have been really good. Like they very rarely have us change anything. And if they do, it's like we've said the, like, you know, the percentage of something is wrong or the price is wrong or something, or we've, you know, we've, we've said, oh, it's 41 millimeters and it's 43 point, you know, it's 41.8 or something. <laughs> right. But they're really, they've, they've been really trusting. And I think that's just because of mostly Felix's reputation, if I'm honest, uh, and his sort of longstanding reputation in the industry that there's, there's a lot of trust there. And I think it's a better experience for everyone. Like we don't want to do like real, you know, dense ad content that no one wants to listen to. We want to make it enjoyable and, you know, and we would never work with a brand that we didn't, you know, actually believe in and, and didn't believe in what we what we said about it mm-hmm. um so it's it's been it's an interesting one though like it's a tricky it's a tricky thing field to navigate uh just from honestly like keeping it engaging uh but i think felix and i are pretty pretty good at that now like we sort of we try and make everything we do entertaining right right so what does ot stand for for those that's nah, a that secret don't... i can't tell you that <laughs> secret handshake it's top secret no one knows no one knows oh you're being serious Mm. Yeah, that's the secret. So who... I'll tell created, you offline. That, I can't tell you on this. Okay. Who created it? Uh, we had a different name at the start. I think we were going to call it All the Good Times. That was like the draft name. And then okay. we thought, oh, that's, that's too hard. And then we didn't want something super time related. And then we just landed on IT and it stuck. All right. So offline. Offline. We'll, that's an offline chat. We'll sort it out. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. There's oh, no reason man. that it's secret, but it's just sort of like we've never told anyone and now we just we don't tell anyone. Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, so you went to university, I'm assuming? Yep. Yeah. Where, yeah. What did you study? Marketing? Uh, no, business. Uh, so I, I was actually a chartered accountant for, for oh. quite some time. Yeah. So like my initial man. career. Sorry? Like your old man. Yeah. yeah. I followed in his steps, footsteps. So I got a, uh, had an accounting degree, went and did this, the CA program, which was like another three years of work and study afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started my career off at Deloitte. Yeah. My cousin worked for Deloitte for a few years. Yeah. That's cool. She traveled constantly. Yeah. It was a lot of travel. I couldn't do it. 
So what's up with your job now in marketing? Like what, what exactly are you responsible for? Are you kind of on the client side or more on the creative? Yeah. So I work for a, work for a, um, a big electronics retailer. So I do like digital marketing. Okay. So you, all of your worlds are sort of combining with like your keyboards and electronics and everything's online. Yeah. I mean, even your OT podcast t-shirt with a pizza on it relates back to your first job. So, I mean, I like how you keep it close. Everything is weirdly sentimental. I mean, I, yeah, so I worked at a pizza shop for five years. That was my kind of high school job. What's your go-to pizza? Oh, you can only choose one. You can only choose one and don't do halvesies or anything lame. You gotta, you gotta pick a, a setup. What, what are the toppings? So like I'm vegan now. So my pizza has changed from what it was when I was, when I was, when you're working in the shop and you have free reign, right. you, you go off menu. So you'd bring in, like we would bring in things like roast, like if mum cooked a roast lamb the night before, you bring it in the roast lamb, you bring it in like potatoes, some peas, even gravy, and you're making like a roast lamb pizza. So you would, you would just go off menu and you'd start just putting whatever you could on a pizza. And it's, it's wow. a different, yeah. When you're not paying for the toppings, yeah, it's a different, it's a different league. Yeah. Of now, now, you know, I like, a, I, I keep it simple. There's a few good vegan pizza places that I, that I go to every, every now and then. So why vegan? What made you decide to, to switch? Well, I say plants-based cause I'm not, you know, hardcore vegan. I don't like live the full lifestyle of no animal products, but it was just like a health, you know, health and a little bit of a environment, um, and, you know, conscious decision, maybe like seven years ago, I was chatting to a friend of mine who's an athlete and he sort of was telling me how he recovered really well and he sort of slept less and his body just felt really good. And I thought, this guy's an elite athlete. He's an Australian cricketer. Hmm. And he felt really well. He just felt amazing. And he could, you know, get off work off six hours sleep and it was just perfect. And wow. I thought to myself, well, there's good, there's no bad reasons for doing, you know, this lifestyle change. And if he can do it and perform at an elite level and be, you know, like the top level, then I can probably, you know, me who I sit at a desk every day, I can probably get away with like making a few changes. So I just made a few changes and then a few more changes and then it just sort of became a, a new lifestyle for me. So there's no hard hard reason why, but it was just sort of, it, it made sense to me. Like it didn't make sense to continue, you know, uh, a lifestyle and like an eating, a diet that like I didn't need to. I've view, right. always viewed it as well. Yeah, I don't need to. I don't need to eat meat. I don't need to eat animal products to be healthy and happy and you know fit and, and and whatever so i just sort of stopped sure well i know you go to the gym how's it affected your energy and or like weightlifting for example yeah so I do a little bit of powerlifting um it it's fine like it's a, an adjustment when you do switch your diet out because you don't really know how to how to manage you know your your macronutrients so like how much protein should i have how much carbs should i have so the first thing that happened was sort of like i just eat a lot of carbs Right. And you just right. take the, you know, the steak away and just put potato there. Mm. And then you, you figure it out. So you figure out like the right balance and the new sort of way of normal. So, you know, people that work out eat like chicken, rice and veggies. I just have my take on that. And that's it. Chicken, tofu, and it's tofu, you know, rice and veggies or whatever. So it's just sort of, it's more or less better. Like I, pr- I prefer it. That's why I've st- stuck with it for seven, eight years. Oh, wow. So it's been a while. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. 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 That's great. Um, is there a guest for OT that you haven't had on that serves as somewhat of a white whale for you guys? The dream guest? Yeah. It changes, but I feel like uh, Jonah Hill would be just awesome to chat to. Okay, Jonah Hill. All right, I didn't see that one coming. Jonah Hill, Henry Cavill, uh, The Rock. Just You know those people that you know would just be so fascinating to sit down for even 15 minutes and just have like a one-on-one conversation with? So actors. Yeah. Johnny, well, I think Johnny Hill in particular is a bit more than just an actor. Like he's a director, sure. producer. He's, he's done a lot of really creative stuff. Mm-hmm. Even his fashion, his fashion stuff I think is, is amazing. So I think he would be, yeah, he it just his perspectives I think would be fascinating. Interesting. Well, you hosted me, by the way, and thank mm, you did. yet again. How, <laughs> how the hell did you find me? Like... I, <laughs> I don't even remember how our conversations even began, frankly. It's a good question. I think, well, I mean, look, we've had a lot of the same guests. And so, you know what happens? You have a guest on, they reshare, you know, that I was just on Standard H podcast. Ideally, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, there's always like, we always, we have the one that didn't. And you kind of wonder what you did to them in between uh, interviewing them and <laughs> publishing. Like, did they hate it that much? 
Um, totally. But, but I'm trying to think who it was that, yeah, I, I think it was Dan Brunton. Cause that oh. was pretty early. Yeah. That was yeah, pretty yeah. early for you from memory. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's a guy who I don't know how I ended up following him, but you know, really interesting architect, really talented, like fascinating guy to talk to. Not really that well known outside of architecture, but what a gem. Totally. And I think it might've been him who popped up on, uh, like you popped up on my feet and, and it would have been from there. Interesting. Maybe even earlier. Who Dan's who awesome. Earlier? I think it was Dan. I, th- I think it was Dan. I mean, he was early and everybody else you may or may not have known. Cause I mean, like my first guest was Tim from Passion mm. Fine Jewelry. He's, you know, a watch dealer, probably the largest, I think he's the largest independent dealer in California. Yeah. But then I had just like a couple of friends of mine early on, frankly, and, and still do. <laughs> and, and new friends like yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think it was that. And then you start looking like, okay. And then you see the same sort of guest pop up that we've had. I mean, you know, Phil, Mr. Enthusiast, Ryan Babbins. And he was one of the first people I ever interviewed, like in 2016, 2017, back when he was at Greats. Oh, really? Just, I didn't, just I didn't realize out. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, how did you come across him? Well, my whole thing at Time of Tide was writing who to follow. It was an article. It was just like interesting people that you've probably not heard about mm. that, you know, you should just follow on Instagram because they they're interest, they post interesting stuff and it's it's sort of watch adjacent stuff. So I that's sort of why we did the podcast because I was like, these are really interesting people and I would like to hear more from them, not just, you know, like a Q&A style interview like talk to them like let's hear there hear like more about them and more about what they do sure so he he came up because at the time i was just fascinated with like the business model of greats and the direct to consumer uh, model that they adopted and sort of his business partner at the time was john buscemi as well i think he was he was pretty involved and obviously a, a really fascinating business uh i guess icon so he was um he caught my attention but I mean, David Weiss as well. What a guy, you know, yacht designer. <laughs> like, yeah. didn't even know that that was a real job. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he's again, a delightful fellow to, to, to talk to. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I know, started noticing the overlap. I mean, again, you had Jonathan Ward on. I think we had him. Uh, Kirkland. I'm just looking at your website now. Adrian right, Barker. Right. So, <laughs> so it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's really, and I think you do a completely different approach to what we do as well with, we sort of guess, like, as you know, you've deep, done a deep dive into sort of people and why they do what they do and who they are. And we sort of, we, we're a bit more um, specific on, on kind of topics and, and, and the, the, the content that we want to tell. Right. So right. yeah, not, not, not a, you know, not competition by any means, but I, uh, no, I guess, no. I guess, yeah, I guess that's, that's how I came across you. It must've been Dan. It must've been years ago though. Cause we've been, we've been in touch for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been two, two years, I guess, maybe yeah. even two plus, but, um, mm. yeah, that's really interesting. So it was, it, you almost kind of like were like escorted into the watch world by way of like writing and such, you know, just yeah. from a plane trip. Right. So, I mean, yeah, you almost had like the first red bar meetup, the, the mile high red bar meetup there. <laughs> like, I don't even know what you would call it. Um, I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure there's been others and happening in planes, <laughs> but um, is there a watch brand that you enjoy that might surprise people? A watch brand that I enjoy? Yes. Yeah, and Eva. Oh yeah. Big fan from, for a long time from afar. And sure. it's sort of, I think the next 12 months I got to make one happen. Awesome. Because just the the design, the materials that they use, Stefan, like it's just such a cool brand. And it was one of those brands that early on, it's like, oh, well, what is this? This is cool. How's it made? That really caught my uh, my attention. And sure. I miss that. Like the more you, time you spend immersed in like the world of watches, especially working in it, you kind of get desensitized to a lot of stuff. Totally. And everything is, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, cool. Carbon fiber. Yeah. Titanium. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this limited edition. You become like jaded, right? And so you have to find the things that pull you out of it. That's what Kudoke did for me. Exactly. Right. And and so when you find that, you have to like, you grab onto it. And so Sarpanev has always been a brand where I'm like, this is just fun. This is cool. This is where you just spend the money and you don't ever think about it again. And right. I love that. I love that idea. So, and I mean, they're all made to order now. I also love, uh, I'm a huge Kiss fan. I've been a long time Kiss fan. Uh, and Eric Singer, you know, 
has been out to the factory and I think is a is an owner of a few as well. So that sort of solidified it for me when I saw pictures of Eric Singer <laughs> hanging out at the Sapaneva workshop uh, years ago now, years ago. But yeah, massive Kiss fan. Oh man, that's amazing. What uh, what watch brand do you find to be maybe underrated? Underrated. Jeez, is anything underrated in 2022? I mean, everything is just... Hype. Everything. I mean, what have I seen lately? I mean, I've got a Tissot PRX, the automatic upstairs. Yeah. thousand bucks. It's... I mean, you can still get them. So people... It's a very good watch. It's a very, very good watch for the money. Let's see. I read an article that you wrote. I don't know mm-hmm. when you wrote it, though. It was about the Mark 18 IWC. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, re- I recently got the white dial. I couldn't agree yeah, more right. with what you said. Uh, is that a watch you think you'd ever own? Yeah, I think as far as the IWC lineup, there's a lot of chunkier watches, and the, the Mark 18 is, is a great all-rounder. It's a great sort of everyday contender for a field watch, something that looks good on straps. Yeah. Proportions are really good. It's got the right amount of like pedigree and history. And, and I think there's enough interesting stuff that anyone could kind of find one that they like. I mean, we did a, there was a, a an RAF um, anniversary watch done by the guys here locally for the Australian Air Force, obviously, with like a really nice blue dial. And it's a funny story, but I think I'm allowed to tell it. <laughs> we got, Felix got sent the watch because one of the guys here, Nick Barnes, who's a pretty well-known in the watch scene down here, uh, he's a he's a, a pilot in the Air Force. And he sent it to Felix for feedback. And it was genuine feedback, right? Like, what do you like? What do you what don't you like? And he, he said, do you mind if I send it to Andy? And Nick said, yep. So he sent it to me. And I just responded, like, I'm pretty blunt. <laughs> so I just gave, like, two points of feedback. And I was like, don't like the hands. This text color needs to change. It was something like that. Like, it was it was really, like, blunt. And it was meant for, for Felix. And for some reason, he sent it on <laughs> to Nick. And I don't know if he, if he changed it at all. But as a result... He agreed and he, he did change the hand. So like my really blunt and rude feedback that accidentally got passed on changed the design of the, the watch a little bit. And I take no cre- like credit for, at all for it, but it's just, it's, um, it's funny. And it's a really, really nice, a nice watch. It's like a dark, uh, kind of a starbursty, dark, dark blue navy oh, wow. dial. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the new IWC bl- blue dials. I mean, I, for some reason, like I don't own any blue dials mm-hmm. in my you know, kind of, uh, assortment, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Blue's always intrigued me as somebody that wears a lot of blue. Um, yeah. in, in fact, I wear a ton of black, but I'm either blue or black, but I don't own a, a blue dial. Do you own a blue dial? Yeah. I have a, a Tudor, a vintage Tudor. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Samaritan yeah. with blue so, dial, blue yeah, bezel. Yeah. Snowflake. Yeah. Those are so Yeah. Sweet. Snowflake. Yeah. So it's, it's really like an admiral blue petroly blue like it's pretty washed out now kind of like the french navy wasn't it the french navy yeah yeah yeah. uh i have a helios with a blue Mm. dial what else i mean i think the vacheron makes one of the better blues on the market they do a nice blue they do a nice blue but i do like the tudor pelagos which is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum even though they're both sort of you know nautical hmm there's a lot of way to do blue. Yeah, totally different approach to blue, but I love them both. Pink tiles. I know my pink tiles. Uh, yeah, you got the uh, the Sakura, right? Like the yeah, uh, candy pink. The candy pink uh, Rolex. Yeah. Yours is thirty six, right? Thirty six. Yeah, they didn't do it in forty one. Yeah. Oh, real. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Just... Which is funny because like the Tiffany was done in both, but then they discontinued mm. the forty one, and now they only do it in thirty six. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So that, I have a pink dial, a bit of a pink dial collection. And then we did the the Anodane at the end of last year as well. Yeah, how'd that come about? I wanted to ask you about that. That was like Lewis from Anodane really early in the podcast, always being a massive, I think he's a massive supporter of Felix and Felix has always supported Anodane. And at, he was just really early. He just kind of said, oh, like we should organize a call. And so we organized a call with him and it was really late at night and early for him. And we're just sort of chatting. He's like, yeah, we should do something. How can we support you? We should do something. Maybe we could do a watch. And this is 2020, so it's changed now with um, with Anodane. And I said, oh, yeah, oh, let's do it. And I just locked him in. I just made him commit. And then 
he says, yeah, just like, let me know if you have some ideas. And so this is a watch that I did actually sketch out. So I just did like a really bad sketch in my notebook and I was sending like to a WhatsApp group, like these sketches. And so we were all sort of putting input and I'm like sketching it out and like, I'm talking like circles and lines and stuff. Like it's not good. Right. Uh, it's still, the photo still exists somewhere though, which is pretty funny. And, cool. and so we're sending it back and forth and then we're changing this and trying fonts and it's a long process. Like it took over a year to get to the point of, you know, actual finalized prototypes oh, or I guess production units. Yeah. And it just kind of evolved and evolved and evolved. And eventually we thought, well, we couldn't decide between the white or the pink tile. And so Lewis, if we did an interview with him about it, and if you've ever spoken to him, his personality is just like, oh, we'll just do both and we'll just see what happens. So he, we'll try, then we were trying to work out how many we do and it really just came down to like the, the spare production capacity that they had, which is like negative 200%. <laughs> like they're so busy right. and they open their order books up like once a month and they just, they just go. I think they only make 60 watches a month. Like they're very low production. Wow. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we made 30 of each. We, we opened up pre-order for them in December from memory and they sold out overnight. So in like 14 or 15 hours, they all just went. Which is entirely shocking. Like, Incredible. Yeah, yeah, but that's just Anodyne. Like, that's nothing to do with us. That's just Anodyne. Uh, well, so we can, got, I, we got... can I ask a little more technical question? Yeah. So when you do a partnership like that with a brand like that, yeah. do you guys sell it at retail, split the profit, or do you? does he sort of sell it to you as like a wholesale account and then you guys just keep the markup? Like how, how, what, what does that look like on the back so, end? We were really lucky that they just they sold it via their website because they're full, fully set up uh, yeah. and it's, that's how they operate. And sure. because they were making them and fulfilling them, they were really kind that they just said, yeah, we'll just sell it. So we just did promotion and we helped with the marketing and getting and getting some you know PR samples out there for people to have a look at and take photos of. So Adrian got a, got a look in and helped take the photos, which we, um, which we shared, which were like gorgeous photos. Yeah, of course. Uh, and, and then, yeah, it was just sort of like a – I mean – I don't know how much profit they make because their watches are far too cheap. But right. yeah, they need to change that because you know when you're selling out, um, you know your month's production run in, in instance, right. uh, you need to increase it. So I mean, if you've ever handled an anodyne, people I think people would gladly play pay two or three times you know what they what they currently charge. Right. Uh, but again, Lewis's personality is just not. You know, I don't think he does it for the money when for um, that reason, when he should. Yeah. Well, but he should be. He should be because they're truly gorgeous. And the dials, I mean, the the enamel dials are just incredible. And there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it for under $5,000, put it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was it was a really friendly collaboration. It was really, really good, um, really casual, not much pressure. And yeah. I think, you know, that's what made it really special to us was that we sort of just kind of kept it going through, you know, banter and fun and, and yeah. chatting about stuff and you know, there wasn't tight deadlines or tight commitments. It was just kind of like, yeah, let's just get it right and let's just see how it goes. And no one was out there trying to, you know, make a lot of money. So it wasn't like, oh, we need to do this. So we weren't making things out of a commercial decision. Like, Because if you were, you probably wouldn't do uh, two dials and you probably might not risk it on a pink dial because right, it's still right. back when we were pitching it. Like it wasn't a popular dial color. 2020, you know, Rolex did it, but no one else was really doing bold pinks. Sure. And that was always a color we just wanted to do for us. So... Yeah, I mean, if you were doing it to make a lot of money, you probably would have tried to make 200 or 250 or done unlimited and then taken two years to deliver. But I think everyone's, I think they've all been fulfilled. I think they were fulfilled a month ago. So quite a quick sort of three, four month delivery time, which is awesome. Yeah, man, that's incredible. Congrats on that. That's super fun. Um, so are you much into F1 at all? Are you a Daniel Ricardo guy or like? I like, I like going. Yeah. I'm not super into it. Like I wouldn't watch it unless I'm there. I did interview Daniel Ricardo uh, at one point briefly, which is he's a really lovely down to earth guy, which was quite cool. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a it's a nice event, and being in Melbourne, it's it's really kind of cool to to have it here and see how like the city changes. So we had a bit of a, a hiatus for two years, and just happened uh, a couple of oh, last month, month before. Yeah, it's been a couple months, I think, maybe now. March, yeah, March. It's incredible to see like what the watch world has done too, like even just alongside F1 and their growth and, you know, yeah. drive to survive and, you know, Charles Leclerc getting his watch stolen and it's just insane now. Yeah, it's full on. It's a full on. Uh, I mean, I think in Melbourne Grand Prix, there's 400,000 people pass through over the weekend, over 400,000, which is, yeah. It's... I heard I heard tickets here in Miami last week were like $2,000. 
to go. Wow. Wow. I went to the race in Austin in 2016 was my most recent F1 race that I attended. And I mm-hmm. think I paid $85 for a general admission ticket. Mm-hmm. So yeah, wow. $2,000 $2, is quite the jump, I'd say. <laughs> That's, look, it's good that people are back and supporting, you know, live sports and we're at a point in the, you know, in the world where we're back doing this stuff. It's just nice to have events back on, I think. Right, right. Yeah, it's incredible. What have you done recently for the first time? What have I done recently for the first time? I have, well, I mean, the F1 was weird. Like that's a lot, that was a lot of people. And that was the first time I'd been around like hundreds of thousands of people all at once. That was pretty, that was, I still haven't been on a plane since uh, early 2020. So that's, that's going to be interesting to do that. Yeah, uh, so I haven't I haven't left the country yet. Uh, I got at my first concert next week. Oh, who are you going to see? Uh, Laney. Okay, I don't I don't, don't know. know. I think he's from I think he's from uh, LA. Uh, so he's American American artist who's coming over, and then I have Orville Peck in July, which I'm very excited about. Have you been to California before? No, but I should be going in September. Oh, night. Nice. What what's going on in September? There's a keyboard meetup. Oh, right. Yeah, nice. yeah, some big big meetups in the US. So we'll be we'll be coming over for that. So is that in San Francisco? I think it is in San Fran, yeah. I have to check. Yeah, Silicon Valley adjacent. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. You have to hit like me that. up, man. I'll uh Definitely. That'd be crazy. I mean it's a far drive or, or a short flight, but who knows? Stranger things have happened. I might even be up there. So who knows? <laughs> yeah, well we definitely go and do some other stops on the way. Definitely come to LA, definitely potentially even Texas got a few, few, few things to do in, and a few people to see in Texas as well. Um, I don't know if you know Enrique from Mouchant electric torches. Uh, I should chat to him. He's a okay. electric torch guy. Okay. Oh, right. right, right. Oh, right. Yes. Sorry. Yes. Yep. I am familiar with those. Yeah. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's a, he's a good friend of mine who lives in Austin, Texas. Oh, amazing. Well, yeah. If you're there in October, the F1 race is in Austin. <laughs> interesting full circle (laughs) good timing very good timing yeah yeah well cool man well you know obviously i was on your show as i've mentioned but do you have any updated questions for me (laughs) some updated questions or any questions in general i'll ask a watch question for you just favorite release of 2022 favorite release of 2022 watch release i might go that black and gold cartier tank well, yeah, that's nice. It's that's that thing that's is tasteful. Just so clean. Cartier uh, this year have killed it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the last couple of years, man, yeah, yeah, like they've just been crushing it. Like, kind of, you know, quote unquote, making the whole line the CPCP line, basically. It's you know, interesting. Just, you chat to them. Sorry to cut you off. It's interesting because you chat to them and they're like, "Yeah, we've always been crushing it." And then you kind of go, "Oh, that's arrogant," and then you think to yourself, "Nah, they kind of have. <laughs> they kind of have." <laughs> and they just overtook Omega, right? With yeah, market share apparently, or at least you know turnover. I believe it. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm a, I'm I've been a long, long time subscriber to to that brand. It's just, um, yeah, I I've just been so focused more on dressier pieces. I think from an interest perspective. How come? Because I've got what I need and I've got more than I need sports wise. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think we all have more than we need in general, yeah, definitely. but, um, like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to look at anymore other than to appreciate it. You know what I mean? No, I think that's normal. A lot of people get there and then they end up looking at dress pieces and then they look at independence and then, you know, that, that, that's where I'm at. Right. And the Kudoke is, is, is the two. So it's got the day night indicator at, at midnight. That's cool. Which is super yeah, that's really cool. out of the box for me. Uh, even just kind of cheeky, right? From a design perspective, mm. even from a function perspective, because unless you're in a cave, if you don't know if it's day or night, you got bigger problems on your hands. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, but, but I love it too for that reason, right? Cause it's, it's superfluous. Like mm. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah awesome yeah <laughs> oh well, Andy, this is uh, yeah oh for sure you know they'll they'll be posted for sure um this has been a blast man i i really appreciate you taking the time my pleasure um enjoy your friday 
I will. We'll have to have you back on uh, OT sometime. Yeah, I would love to. Um, especially since like the journey's been very different since I was on your show, I would say. And then the pandemic and spending yeah. more time reading and <laughs> I think know. there's some a bit of a check in. I think we never need to have a bit of a check in. Yeah, that'd be fun, man. That'd be that'd yeah. be super fun. I'll do well, it. I'll give do my it. best to Felix and um, enjoy your day. I'm gonna go eat some dinner. <laughs> Love it. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Hey guys, Wesley here. If you liked what you heard, maybe tell a friend about the Standard H podcast. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover this podcast. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track, as well as to Clear Audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care.